This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We will get to them in just a second, because in today's episode, which is one of my favorites uh, every year, we, we have Justin Mello from Music City Miracles and the Draft Network on with us to talk about the NFL Draft. Ever since the three of us started podcasting uh, two years ago, we've done an annual visit with Justin right before the draft, and this year was no exception. He's always one of our favorite guests because of, of how well he's able to answer our questions and explain the draft, and so we look forward to having a lot of fun with Justin in just a few minutes. Before we get to Justin, two quick reminders. Next week on Monday... We will be publishing our annual mock draft. Calvin Smith from 1025 The Game will be hopping on with us to do that. And also, don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at No Nonsense Pod. You can also subscribe to or follow the show wherever you are listening to get easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. And without further ado, here is our chat with Justin Mello of the Draft Network and Music City Miracles. We are joined by our friend Justin Mello, who every year on our podcast we have a uh, a long chat with leading up to the draft. He's one of our, our favorite guests that we have. Justin, thanks as always for hopping on with us. Uh, the pleasure is mine, boys. Like we said, like you said, this has kind of become a uh, annual thing, so I'm happy to be here. Now, since last time, you and our guest from last week, Titans Film Room, have a new podcast endeavor. We do, yeah. Correct. Me and Justin Graver over at Titans Film Room, uh, we're hosting the Titans Brawl. So that's something that we've been doing for about two, three months now, and uh, I've enjoyed it. You know, Justin's a great guy, and he's a great football mind, and obviously an incredible uh, Twitter personality. So uh, things are going well for us so far. I want to start with this. We've asked ourselves this question. We asked other Justin this question last week, and, and I tweeted this question yesterday to kind of get a fan gauge of the answer, and that is, you know, this scenario, you're at 29, you're the Titans, you're on the clock, and in this magical scenario, there is an ideal fit for your team at every single position available. Where are you going with that pick? Yeah, I'm going with cornerback, personally. I think it's the biggest hole that they have currently. Um, I mean, they only got, what, four guys on the roster uh, right now. And, I mean, two of them you really don't, you know, you're really not counting on them playing much, right, in Kareem Orr and Chris Milton. So when you look at that, I mean, you've got a Dory Jackson and Malcolm Butler, and you know, and a couple of guys that you, you probably shouldn't be comfortable being more than your fifth cornerback. So I think the biggest hole on the roster right now is at corner. You know, especially with, with Logan Ryan still out there. Yeah, it kind of depends on if they end up getting him back. Uh, but as of today, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely cornerback. Uh, sticking with cornerbacks, do you think that the Titans need to draft a slot corner if they do, or, or a, a cornerback prospect that, that uh, profiles at the next level as a slot corner? 
Um, or do you think they would be comfortable with going with an outside corner and maybe pushing a Dory to the slot? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think it really depends on how they're trying to build that team. Personally, you know, you're not going to take a slot corner or a guy that projects as a slot corner at 29th overall. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just doesn't really happen, right? So uh, I, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Malcolm Butler, as he gets older, moves inside there, you know? So I think really you're taking a guy that projects to be an outside corner. If he's got some of that scheme versatility and, and he can play a bit of both and maybe he can start in the slot as a rookie, great. You know, that would be certainly ideal. But I think overall, you take the best corner um, that you can or the one that you're most comfortable with. And that's almost guaranteed to be a guy um, that, that really, you know, made his living on the outside. So uh, I agree with you about corner, by the way. But something I've seen a lot of and I don't get it is spending a high pick on a defensive tackle. And I've said this before, I don't consider Marlon Davidson or, you know, the guys who play five tech, they play some edge, they move around. Those are not the guys I'm talking about. But there's this weird idea that these pure pass rushing three techs that the Titans are going to spend a first round pick on that. Or to me, even a top 100 pick is a bad use of your draft capital. What do you feel about the defensive tackle position, both on the Titans and in this draft class? Yeah, I'll be honest. I I slightly disagree with you there. I I do think they need to find one somewhere. I mean, at the end of the day, they shipped out Jarrell Casey. And yeah, I know they plan to to kick over Jeffrey Simmons into sort of the spot that Casey played last year. But I don't think they have enough on that line. Now, I'm not going to get into super specifics with it has to be this position. It has to be that position. I think they need someone that can play on the defensive line, period. I mean, right now, as, as a current group, what, what do they have there? Right? I mean, they got Simmons. You've got Daquan Jones. Uh, you've got Isaiah Mack, who, you know, someone that kind of made the team as a bit of a surprise last year and and sort of impressed the coaches. And yeah, you may be counting on him to play a few extra snaps this year, but you really don't have much, right? I mean, outside of Simmons and Jones, you have, uh, you know, uh, an exciting but unproven commodity in Mack. And you sign Jack Crawford, a veteran who, you know, certainly, you know, will probably make the team, but isn't guaranteed to make the team. So I do think they need to find someone that can play on that line. I don't know that it has to be at 29. I mean, my dream, I'll be honest with you, my, my sort of dream scenario for them is to, I'd like to get two guys there. I, I'd still like to sign, you know, Jadavian Clowney. Uh, I think that would be very ideal. And I'd probably still use the 61st pick um, if I could, that late second on a guy like a Justin Matabike or a Ross Blacklock or a Marlon Davidson at Auburn, who's got some of that inside-outside versatility. Uh, I would personally, as things stand, I'd like to see them spend one of those top three, uh, you know, first three picks on, on a guy that can play on the line. When you talk about the Titans spending a, uh, the, the pick 29 on a cornerback, you're probably going to be looking at either A.J. Terrell from Clemson or, or Jeff Gladney as being the option there. Uh, those two guys probably being the only uh, round one, borderline round two guys left at that point. Which of those would be your preference and why? Uh, personally, gladly. I just really like him. I mean, I, I'm going to debut my final big board um, in a couple of days, and he's very, very high on my big board. Uh, I'm not going to lie. He's, I probably got him higher than, than most people. I really like the guy. I mean, when I watch him, you watch the way he played outside at TCU. First of all, he did something that very few corners in college did. He didn't play a side. He didn't play, you know, they asked him to follow around the other team's number one receiver. You saw him do it against Baylor. You saw the way he battled against Denzel Mims. I mean, that was one of my favorite battles to watch this season, period, in terms of a corner-receiver matchup. I think Jeff Gladney against Denzel Mims 
was the best matchup in college football that we saw this past season. I mean, or at least the most exciting, in my opinion, when you review the tape. And actually, I spoke to Mims about a couple weeks ago, and he said to me, he had a hot take if you want to hear one. I mean, I get it. He played against Gladney. He didn't play against a lot of those other corners. But he actually think, he felt comfortable saying that he thinks Gladney is the best corner in this draft period. He said if he was tasked with, with kind of making up his own um, mock draft or draft board or whatever, that he'd have Gladney as the number one corner. So I really like him. Again, he's a little on the smaller side. We know, you know, 5'10", 190. But I thought he had a good combine, ran a 4'48 in the 40, had a good vertical of 37 and a, uh, 37 and a half inches. And again, he followed those number one receivers around. The ball skills have been there. ton of pass breakups or pass deflections throughout his career. He's feisty. He's tough. He loves to tackle. He's aggressive. Uh, he's used to play, you know, they played some cover two, they played some cover three, but they were really predominantly a man coverage team. So he's used to that. He's, he's going to have to live on an island on the outside in the NFL, just like he did in college. And I'm very confident in the type of player that I think he's going to become. Going into some hypotheticals here, let's say Gladney's not available at 29. Uh, what do you think is the next position that the Titans should target, given some of the players that might be around there? Personally, I, I would prefer they go with a receiver if Justin Jefferson or someone like Denzel Mims is there as opposed to them going for an edge uh someone like Yeeter Gross Matos or AJ Epinesa who I don't know in my opinion it feels like their ceiling is kind of capped and I think getting a receiver of that caliber at that spot would uh would just bring more potential to the offense and to the team as a whole yeah, I, I think, you know, I think they're in an interesting spot after after I, I say corner as the number one need uh, because, and, and you know, pinch me if you've ever heard this before, but um, it's rare that the Titans are, A, picking 29th and, B, have such few holes, right, certainly over the last, uh, you know, 10 years. So I think there's so many positions that you can make an argument for truthfully that I, and that's a good thing right they don't have to be pigeonholed into making one and making sure they lock in on one position there again i'd prefer corner but if it's not a corner then you can make the argument for a receiver i totally get it you know this offense was fantastic last year maybe they want to add some more speed right at receiver they don't have a ton of speed at receiver right they kind of counted on Khalif raymond to be that deep guy uh, when they wanted to dial that up and he did a great job but perhaps they want to add some more competition there you can make the argument for an edge guy you know yeah they signed Vic beasley it's a one-year deal you know, and who knows what's going to happen with that, right? I mean, the Falcons, they couldn't wait to get him out of Atlanta, truthfully, right? They, they tried to trade him during the, uh, at the deadline last year, and they didn't get anything. And as soon as free agency hit, as badly as they needed an edge rusher, they let him walk, right? And they brought in uh, Dante Fowler instead. So, you know, uh, Beasley's very much, and you heard Brable said it, right? He's someone that they're excited to get their hands on and try to mold, and he's got the exciting tools to work with. But again, it's a one-year deal. Who's to say, A, he doesn't bust, or B, he puts up, you know, 18 checks and goes sign somewhere else the following year. So I understand the argument for Edge. You look back at the Kansas City game. I mean, a big reason I think the Chiefs were able to come back in that game, and of course, not taking any credit away from Patrick Mahomes in that offense, but Tanks didn't get enough pressure on him, right? I mean, and, and that's something they're going to have to deal with for the next several years. You're going to have to get every team that wants to win has to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. So I think that has to be a priority for him. So again, whether that's for now yeah they've got you know you've got a bridge starter in Dennis Kelly you don't have a whole lot behind them you got some good depth in uh mentioned what I think is a bit of the need on the inside of the defensive line as well tackle uh, I mean there, there's just so many there's so many ways they can go with this pick 
there's something you know just like i talked about the defensive tackle i don't really see the idea of replacing uh, dennis kelly or not dennis jack conklin with somebody other than dennis kelly when it seems like the titans made a clear decision to go that way do you think there's any chance that they spend the first you know their first round pick on it or if they take one first do you think they're going to trade down to do it um, I think there's a, I'll be honest, I think there's a very low chance that they take a tackle there. The only reason I wouldn't completely rule it out is they have some, some interest, um, you know, in tackles. I don't know when the visit occurred, but I was able to confirm that they had Josh Jones in for a visit, Houston offensive tackle. He's one of very few guys they were actually able to bring to Tennessee on a private top 30 visit. Uh, before the spread of the virus sort of obviously shut everything down. So, And teams are going to lean on that stuff this year, not to get away from your question, but don't underestimate how big that is, right, guys? They actually got to bring to their facility and actually get to know, right? I mean, with such a unique draft year, things like that are going to be big. So I think it's pretty unlikely they take a tackle at 29. Uh, But, uh, again, because they had Jones in for a visit, a guy who sort of fits that range, right? I mean, they knew what they were doing. He's going to go in the middle to the back end of the first um, you know, they brought him in. So again, I think it's, I think corner is more likely. I think wide receiver is more likely. I think an edge or even defensive lineman, um, is more likely, but I'd probably put tackle, uh, right after those four positions. So Will likes to make fun of me because I occasionally will tune into the herd with Cal and Colin Cowherd. <laughs> um, and I, and I was watching the other day and he made a comment that I thought was pretty insightful and i want to get your thoughts on this idea you know it's no secret that this is a ridiculously deep receiver class some people are saying that you know upwards of six seven guys could go in the first round and and what colin said was this and it got me thinking like hmm, that makes some sense it's that in such a deep receiver class unless you're getting one of the top two guys uh judy from alabama or lamb from ohio state why not just wait and use your first round pick on a less frugal position? It, it wouldn't shock me if that's exactly what happens for a couple of reasons. You know, A, I can tell you for a fact that a lot of teams do think that way, right? There's definitely, that definitely makes sense to me. Whereas it's a position, as we see, it's, it's historically deep this year. You've probably got about 30 to 35 guys who would be worth drafting overall at the position. Uh, and, and I could totally see teams waiting till the second or third round to grab their guys. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really buying into the fact that we're going to see, you know, six, seven, eight receivers taken in the first round. One thing that I could always tell you, and, and of course, the whole draft Twitter uh, hype machine, I, I think it's a lot of um, sort of love for this. But, you know, the t- NFL teams aren't as high or they don't prioritize the wide receiver position as much as us scouting geeks do. Why do we do that? It's truthfully, it's such a fun position to watch and evaluate, right? They make the splash plays, they score the touchdowns, they make the highlight packs. But NFL teams, they don't prioritize drafting a receiver that early as much as we would like to think. So I'm personally not expecting to see seven, eight, you know, receivers go in the first round. That would absolutely shock me. I think you're more likely to see one of those guys get bumped out of the first round. So a guy like a Cesar Ruiz can go in the first round, who's probably the best center in the draft. Or a Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU, who's also a very good interior offensive lineman. You're going to see guys like Matt Hennessy, uh, I think, uh, the center, uh, go earlier than a lot of people think. Guys like Ben Bredesen, guard from Michigan, perhaps another guy that goes in the second round. Uh, you know, and some of those tackles, because I do think the tackles are going to come off the board rather quickly. So maybe people start reaching for tackles as those guys come off the board. Uh, Prince Tego Winogo, 
uh, a Matthew Pert out of UConn. So I think, again, you're a lot more likely to see some of those receivers slip a little further than some are thinking. I want to stay on this receiver discussion for, for just a second. You know, of the guys that might be there when the Titans are on the clock, uh, uh, Denzel Mims from Baylor potentially, Brandon Ayuk might be there. Talk us through those guys. Who would fit and who would maybe be a bit of a reach at that point, do you think? Well, I, I personally think if the Titans draft a receiver at 29, I think it's more likely to be a speed guy uh, that can really add a, a different element to their offense. Again, I, you know, and you're probably going to hate me for this because I'm not really saying anything, but it, w- it wouldn't shock me if they go with a Denzel Mims because, yeah, you know, that's a big guy and maybe they see him as a long-term replacement for a Corey Davis, for example. But I think it's more likely to be a speed guy. A guy that they had in, again, I mentioned those private visits earlier. Titans only got in about eight of them, which, by the way, was was among the most in the NFL. Most teams got in less. We know that the Titans had about eight. One of them was Jalen Rieger, receiver out of TCU. Again, smaller, speedier guy. Very crafty, very uh, creative, twitchy, you know, um, amazing guy in space. Explosive player that consistently made big plays at TCU. You look at a guy like K.J. Hamler out of Penn State, right? Similar guy, a little on the smaller side, a little smaller than Rager, a little shorter, weighs a little less. But again, another electric playmaker. Now, I think, you know, I think both of those guys would be a bit of a reach at 29. But I do think if they take a receiver in the first round or even in a trade back scenario where they move back to 33, 37, 40, whatever it is, they're more likely, I think, to go with a speedy receiver um, than they are someone like Mims. Uh, it's good that we talked a little bit about uh, the wide receiver draft being draft class being deep because I kind of want to get into some so like a philosophical kind of question. Um, do you oh think that – no, no, it's not that. It's about the draft, don't worry. Uh, do you think sometimes that certain position classes, they like get to be considered to have depth to supplement maybe not having elite talent at the top when in reality there simply just aren't that many good players at that position? I, I see it happen a lot in draft circles, and I'm wondering if you think that's happening uh, with any of the positions in this class, maybe uh, defensive tackle, for instance. Ah, oh, geez, that's tough. I would say the running back class more so than anything is quite top-heavy. I mean, outside of the first couple of guys, you know, obviously, and, and I don't know which of them are going to go in the first round, but outside of, I think, DeAndre Swift, uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, J.K. Dobbins, I, I like Cam Akers, don't get me wrong. I like uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. I think outside of those guys, there's not a whole lot of depth, and some people might crucify me for not including Zach Moss in there. I, I think Moss is just a little level below those guys. After those, you know, five, six guys, I think you're really just looking at guys uh, that can come in and, and play a role for you, right? A guy that can be your, you know, your number two running back, maybe a little on the smaller, speedier side, good pass catcher. I start looking at guys like Eno Benjamin. I start looking at Antonio Gibson, although he's a big guy. I uh, played a lot of receiver at Memphis. I know he's uh, in league circles. They predominantly see him as a running back. That's where most teams land on him. A guy like Anthony McFarlane out of Maryland, Jamichael Hasty out of Baylor. So outside of those top guys, I think, um, and again, they're getting a lot of attention because, hey, they're big-name guys, and they played at big schools, right? Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, DeAndre Swift, Georgia, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State. Outside of those kind of guys, I don't think there's a lot of depth to the running back class. So uh, something I've kind of, I don't know if I've leaned on it as a crutch to explain why I want him, but when I watch Justin Jefferson, I just, he's one of my guys. I just, I can't help but just focus on him every time I watch LSU film. Uh, so I've kind of gone to a comparison of 
him having the same like quote unquote flaws that AJ Brown had, which is he plays predominantly in the slot. You know, he's more of a yards after catch guy, even though he's a solid tester. Like I, I go on those things. Although I mean, solid is probably underrating him after his combine. But you know, am I wrong to think that if the Titans liked AJ Brown last year, that investing in Justin Jefferson wouldn't be a smart idea? Because I mean. I don't even know if I phrased that right, but to me, he's one of the few receivers who's worth a first-round pick to the Titans just because they seem to want to attack that middle-of-the-field play action, you know, that 12- to 15-yard window. And I don't know, I just I can't help but think what the offense would look like with A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson. He also has now, that speed to be that speed replacement that yeah, for Kelly yeah. Freeman. Right. Well, well, I'll tell you what, the reason I agree with you, and I'm going to look at it from a bit of a broader scope, I'm not even going to get into the whole, you know, because they liked A.J. Brown. I, I think good, smart teams are going to love Justin Jefferson. So I agree with you in that sense, where I think he's one of the safest receivers in this class. Heck, I think he's probably one of the safest players in this class period, because he's such a good, smart player. He's an excellent route runner. And kind of what you said in terms of, you know, you want to attack play action, you want to attack the middle of the field. This guy is always open, right? And it's not just because he has excellent athletic traits, which he does, as we saw at the comment, but he's such a good route runner. He knows how to find spots in those zone, in zone. He knows how to create after the catch. He reminds me, you know, and I hate player comparisons, I'll be honest with you. I normally don't make them. I'm not a fan of them. I'm not very good at making them, truthfully. But he reminds me a little of Robert Woods. When I think of what a great career Robert Woods has put together by being such a good route runner, by always being open, by, by finding soft spots on defenses, I think Justin Jefferson is going to be a fantastic player at the next level. And absolutely nobody should complain if the Titans take him at 29. I had Marvin Jones as his comp, but that makes sense also, honestly. Uh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, I mean, I see Jones in a similar light. So, yeah, I totally get where you're mm-hmm. coming from. And also, how often has the SEC's leading receiver not turned into a good player? Right. right. I mean, you've got Julio. You've got Mike Evans. You've got, I mean, you've got A.J. Brown from the year before. I mean, there's so many guys. I don't know if Calvin Ridley ever did it. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know if Ridley ever did it. So, you know, you've got so many guys who just seem so talented. Jamar Chase will probably do it next year. I, I don't know. It, it just it seems like all the signs on him are positive, and it's just all green lights. But because people have gotten so obsessed with the top three that if you draft a receiver that isn't one of those guys, you're reaching or it isn't good enough value, which I, I think that's just a myth we need to get rid of now before the draft. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, again, and I know I said that, you know, I don't think a ton of receivers are going to go in the first round. I would certainly draft a Justin Jefferson before I draft a Denzel Mims or before I draft a Jalen Rieger or a KJ Hamler or even mm-hmm. a LaVisca Cheneau or a Brandon Ayuk. I would certainly draft Justin Jefferson before all of those guys. Let's break away from the Titans just for a second to talk about the draft at large. I think the most interesting thing going on, and you'll get this if you tune into virtually any national NFL show, is the Tua Tungvaluwa situation. I see, the way I see it, you know, we talk about comparisons, I see a lot of Drew Brees when Tua Tungvaluwa is working out. When he's playing well, I think that's sort of his style of play. Will and I were talking about that earlier. But the medical stuff is is really scaring teams away, not so much for the present, but the long term. So this is kind of a two-part question. Part one being, 
is there a certain point where it's just he's a really, really good quarterback, and if you're a team that needs one, you pull the trigger? And then part two of the question is, I feel like every year there is one player, you know, one year it was Jonathan Allen, it was Harold Landry, who, you know, people freak out about some medical scare, and they fall ultimately for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, there's a big disconnect, and, and probably rightfully so, between, you know, NFL franchises and sort of us, you know, quote-unquote, internet scouts. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your process. Maybe you can shed some light because, you know, you're, you're a bigger big shot, more big shot than, than we are in terms of being draft analysts. Uh, but w- when you realize that you're higher or lower on a certain player than the consensus is, do you go back to watch the film or maybe review your report on that specific player? Uh, and what are some of those players in this year's draft uh, that you may have done that with? Yeah, I do a little bit of both, uh, truthfully, right? I mean, if I know that I'm higher on a guy than most, um, I mean, I try to watch as much tape as I can on, on every guy. So that's one thing I've learned over the years is, you know, always try to, you know, find time and be more thorough because you can never be thorough enough uh, when you're doing this. Again, Jeff Gladney is one of those guys for me. I'll give you an example. When I'm looking at a corner, I tend to be a bit of a sucker <laughs> for for a corner that's very aggressive, mm-hmm. physical, and likes to play in the run game. So that that's one example that I'll give you. And that's why I'm so high on Gladney. I'm looking for a guy that's feisty, that's tough, that's physical, that doesn't avoid the run game. You know, there are some corners in this class that are being talked about going very high that don't put, don't have the best tape out there when it comes to the run game or, or they aren't great tacklers or, or they avoid contact. And that's not Jeff Gladney. So I think every, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Twitter analyst or scout or whatever you want to call it has their process and sort of has things that define a guy as their guy. And I'm always, I, I'm always a sucker for a guy that displays toughness, right? I mean, I interviewed Gladney the other day that has, it hasn't published yet. And it may not by the time this is out, but it'll be out before the draft. Um, and, you know, he went to the combine on a torn meniscus. And he ran the 40-yard dash on a torn meniscus. And he ran, what, I think it was 4-4-8. You know, I mean, he didn't have to go out there and compete, but he did. And he still ran a great time. And he played through that injury a lot of times, right? And again, like I said, he followed the number one receiver around, right? He wasn't playing on one side. When they played Baylor, he followed Denzel Mims. When they played Texas, he followed Colin Johnson. So uh, for me, I- I'm sort of a sucker for a guy that displays that buff physical feisty attitude on tape and and there's very few players in this class that do that like jeff glad i have another question but i kind of wanted to tack this on to the end of matthias's you have to love Amik robertson right like he, he's got to be one of your favorite absolutely. people yeah, yeah like he's absolutely. he's so fun to watch like you know people see his name in mock drafts a lot i mean they don't realize i'm looking at his stats now he had 23 tackles for loss in three years i mean that's uh, I mean, and obviously he had his 48 pass deflections and 14 interceptions, which are crazy by themselves. But for a corner who's 5'8", you know, barely, uh, to have, you know, 23 ta- – I mean, he, he's just super fun to watch. I, I've, I've said before that I get Cortland Finnegan vibes from him. But uh, I just wanted to say that just to kind of get out there. But uh, there's two players that I can't really pin down, and I, I like them both. But Uche from Michigan and Vaughn from Wisconsin – I like them both. They're both really fun. Uche to me is a little bit more electric and seems more athletic. And then Vaughn has that TJ Watt, Wisconsin edge rusher feel to him. 
I don't know if I would take him in the fight. I know I wouldn't take Uche probably in the first round, but I don't know if I would take either one of them in that top 40 range. But it would not shock me at all if they're two of the better players, if they go to a good defensive scheme. How do you feel about those two? Yeah, so Uche specifically, um, I really, I do really like him. I think he's a borderline top 40 player. I like him more. And again, that's kind of semantics at that point. But I like him, you know, I've got him ranked on my big board somewhere around 50 or 52, I think it is. So uh, I really like him. I think it's important when you're evaluating someone like Uche, it's important to, to, to sort of admit to yourself that unfortunately not every coach knows what they have in a player. And I think that sort of fits um, with how Michigan used him uh, over his whole time. A, I don't think they used him enough. You know, I interviewed him a few weeks ago and uh, we talked about his battle to just get on the field. I mean, how hard, you know, every year it seemed like he played a few more snaps, but they still weren't really utilizing him as a full-time player until they did more so this past season. So I, I think with Uche, he's a guy that's likely to be a better NFL player um, than he was collegiate player. And, and again, I mean, that sort of, again, depends on kind of what you said, him landing with the right organization and him being utilized correctly. Because I don't think he was utilized correctly at Michigan. Not for, not for one second do I think they used him correctly there. And not do I think that they used him enough. So when I look at a guy like that, he's 6'1", 245. He's got, you know, longer than 33-inch arms. He's so fast. He's so athletic. He's so bendy. I think you can move him around all over your front seven, right? You're going to blitz him from the linebacker position. You're going to let him use that speed to threaten the edge. Um, really, really interesting player to me. So I'm a big fan of his, and I think he could be a really good player at the next level. I'm definitely drafting him in the second round uh, if I get an opportunity to with Bond. It's sort of interesting that you asked about my process uh, a little earlier and and what I look for. One of my biggest misses of all time uh, was T.J. Watt from Wisconsin. I you know I, you put the tape on with Watt. It was it was kind of so unique. Uh, I said, man, I don't really know what to do with him. Like I don't I don't think I'm drafting him in the first round. You know I don't really know what to do with him. I mean the Steelers ended up taking him on the back end of the first, and that has paid off in a major way for them. So when it came time to put the tape on Bond for me, I mean, I know it's a little cliche, you know, just, you know, he went to the same school and played a bit of a similar hybridish sort of role. But I said to myself, you, you didn't know how to properly evaluate what, well, I can't go back and fix that mistake, but I sure as hell can make sure I don't make the same mistake twice. So when I put the tape on Bond, I think you see a lot of the similarities, right, to Watt, where he's very, you know, he may not, he's not quite as athletic, I think, as Watt was coming out, but he is a pretty good athlete. And I think you do a lot of the things that Pittsburgh do with Watt with him in your defense. I think you move him around all over your line. I think you let him rush off the edge. I think you let him play a little linebacker. You let him get creative. And look, NFL defenses nowadays, as they become more complex, they're almost becoming more similar, right? Put your best 11 on the field. Put your most athletic 11 on the field. Put guys that are playmakers on the field, right? Turnovers in today's age are becoming bigger than ever. You've seen a lot of bad, quote-unquote, bad defenses over the last few years create a lot of turnovers, right? I mean, I remember watching that, was it that two, two, two seasons ago, that Kansas City Chiefs, Los Angeles Rams, was it a Monday nighter where they both put up like 50 points and they were two of the best teams in the NFL, yeah, they gave up a lot of points, but both those teams created a lot of turnovers, and that's what sort of helped, um, you know, their defenses. They got the ball back for their offense. So put your best players on the field, and I think you know Zach Bond is going to be one of your best eleven players, almost no matter where he goes. 
As we start to wrap up here with just a couple more questions for you, Justin, I want to touch on something that we haven't really gotten to yet, and that's the edge rush position, which is a need for the Titans, especially if they don't end up with Clowney. If they do end up with Clowney and the way that you know they see it now that's going to happen, then probably not because you've got a lot of capable bodies there and two starters. If they're thinking, wow, there's no way this is going to happen, between some of the guys like Gross Matos, AJ Epinesa, what do you see as a potential for them at 29 at that position? Yeah, I think those two guys that you brought up, um, you know, could make sense at 29. Again, sort of depending on how they feel uh, about Clowney. Um, you know, AJ out of Iowa, again, all, we all know that the combine was, was, was very bad and could potentially bump him down. But the, ta- hey, the tape on him is very good. You know, you watch, I thought he was good against Michigan. I thought he was really good against Minnesota, uh, Miami, Ohio. I know the competition's not great there, but I thought he was quite good in that game. You see a big, powerful, long guy that is going to win more so on technique uh, than he is the sexy traits, right? I mean, everyone loves speed and everyone loves bend. He's not that guy, right? As the combine showed us, as the tape showed us. He's powerful, he's long, and he's going to win with his hands and, and hand fighting. And that's not really a guy the Titans have right now, right? So you can kind of look at it and say, hey, you know, someone like him, Epinesa out of Iowa, maybe he's a great fit opposite Harold Landry, right? Maybe he's someone who sort of complements that skill set better. You've got some speedy, bendy guys in Beasley and Landry. Well, how about adding someone who maybe complements that style on the other side, a, a more powerful technical guy like Epineza? And Gross Matos is similar for me. Again, I don't think the speed is going to jump off the screen, but this is, again, a guy who's very long. I, again, another guy that I interviewed the other day hasn't published yet, and he talked about how a lot of his a lot of his pass rush arsenal, a lot of things that he does kind of comes off his length. He says that he was able to overwhelm tackles with that length. And that his first speed off the ball, when he combines that with his long arms, gave tackles a lot of trouble. So to me, those two players are, are a little similar. I think Gross Matos is a little more athletic. But both of them, I think, are really good complements and really good fits to what you have on the other side. So again, for me, ideally, I mean, not to cut you off, but I think this team, you know, signs Clowney, takes a corner at 29, takes a defensive lineman in the second, and we haven't gotten into that yet. But I would look at if, if that all that happens in the third round, I'm looking to grab a uh, Dion Lewis replacement, a, a guy that could be your second running back and be an exciting guy to add to your offense. And there's two of them in this draft that really, really excite me. Well, it's good that you bring up running backs because that was going to be my next question. Uh, not specifically about uh, mid-round running backs, but I want to get your thoughts on the possibility of any of the the top three running backs falling to you at 29. Would you be tempted to take one? Because personally, if Jonathan Taylor is there at 29, I have a really hard time passing on that level of athleticism, production, uh, just a guy that could possibly be the next Zeke Elliott type of running back at the next level, especially since Derrick Henry is only on a one-year deal. Uh, at this point in time for me you know I, I can understand the argument behind it where you've got Henry on the franchise tag you bring a running back in to kind of set up to be his replacement and and sort of um, you know you, you you save a lot of money right on the cap whereas you, you get a guy on a rookie deal you let Henry walk and then you've got to get it excuse me another four years of cheap production out of a running back I personally would not make that move. Um, I don't think it's a very good use of your resources. Look, you just re-signed the quarterback to a huge deal. You're coming off an AFC championship appearance. 
I, I think this team, you know, some, you know, I, I just think this team needs to sort of be in win now mode. You know, let's get better than we were last year. Let's make another run at this thing because we have a great team. And I don't think taking a running back at 29 helps you do that at all. Obviously, I mean, you're, you're going to get into a situation where what you're bringing in Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry this year. I don't think in the grand scheme of things that makes you better. I think you're good enough at the running back position right now where you don't need to stand a first or even second round pick maybe on that position. So, again, I understand the argument behind it. You've got a large crowd of people who say, hey, you know, use a running back for four years, let him walk, replace him with cheaper production. I get that, but I don't think, A, it's the best use of this team's resource at all. I, I do not think it helps them uh, this season pretty much whatsoever. And B, I'm of the opinion that they're absolutely going to get something done with Derrick Henry uh, to keep him in Tennessee. I think you'll see that deal get done in July, and I think you'll be surprised at how team-friendly it is, right? Maybe something in, in the range of, you know, three years, $32 million or something like that. So uh, I just, I, I, I'm not taking a running back at 29. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. I think somebody said it best when they said that the Miami Dolphins have three first round picks, and that still doesn't make it okay if they use one of them to draft a running back. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of in the same state of mind with you on that. Okay, let's let's kind of play a what if scenario. Let's say the Titans sign Logan Ryan the day before the draft, and they they seem committed to running back the same three corners. I, I don't think this will happen, but I just I need it for my question. Uh, but they. They signed those three. They're going forward with those three. They've already said publicly that they're not drafting running back in the first round. They announced that they've got a new deal with Derrick Henry. If you could take a bigger defensive tackle slash edge kind of guy like Davidson or an Epinesa, would you do that or would you just go purely best player available and say, okay, we're going to find a way to use player X. Let's say it's Jefferson or a, a great offensive tackle, you know, somebody else who's not necessarily need one or two for the Titans, and you, you're saying, I'm going to get the best player available, and I'm going to do something with him because I know we need another very good to great player if we're going to take that jump from, you know, losing to Kansas City in the championship game to going to the Super Bowl. So sorry, I think I only caught two of those scenarios. They get something done long-term with Henry, and they're not taking a running back. They re-sign Logan Ryan. What was the first? Yeah, so let me let me con condense it down because I kind of said a lot there. So let's say they rule out corner and they rule out running back with the first pick. Not that you would take a running back. Would you okay. rather use a, a you know use the first round pick on Epinesa or Davidson if they're there, just because they're probably floating in that forty range? Like so, somebody, one of those two will probably be there. Or would you rather just say this is our top guy on the board? we need another great player if we're going to take that step forward. Yeah, I, I think at that point you can kind of take the best player, right? Uh, within reason, right? I mean, you're not going to take a, a tight end. You're not going to. You're probably not going to take a center and, and so on. But I think in that, if that scenario were to come to fruition, you can take the best player of sort, sort of still a position group. You're still looking at D-line and edge. I think if you've, you've got Logan Ryan back, as you said, um, D-line edge or wide receiver, I think make the most sense. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I said that, but I don't want to, you know, you know, truck your question. But even if they were to re-sign Logan Ryan a day before the draft, you you still may not be able to move me off the corner position, and I'll tell you why. If they do bring Logan Ryan back, I mean, he's on the wrong side of 30. 
what's it going to be, a one-year deal? Heck, Malcolm Butler is, is around the same age, right? I think there's a good chance, and I say this, I love Malcolm Butler, but seeing how the Titans, you know, what they do with some of their vets and, and kind of moving on, uh, you know, maybe one year too early instead of one year too late. You look what they did to Jarrell Casey. It wouldn't shock me if this is Malcolm Butler's last year in Tennessee. Right? And I don't expect Logan Ryan to be back at this point. So, But even for the sake of the question, even if they were to re-sign Logan Ryan, I would probably still take a cornerback at 29. Uh, okay, and this is the last question because I just – I love your answer to that. If they do think that cornerback is going to be a need this year and next year, would you – agree with them spending the first on Gladney and a third on a meek. I mean, I think that might be a little rich uh, personally. I, I wouldn't hate it. Cause again, I think those are two terrific players and you're adding two great players uh, to your team, but I, I would more likely try to spread that around um, a little bit. Right. Again, for me, I, I would love to see maybe a corner in the first, uh, a D lineman of sorts in the second. And I would seriously start considering um, running back in the third round. But again, not someone to replace Derrick Henry, but someone to add another element to your offense, like a like an Evans from App State, who, by the way, was one of the very few guys they brought in for a private visit, or an Antonio Gibson out of Memphis, who, again, both those guys are very electric with the ball in their hands and add an element to your offense uh, running back that you don't currently have. Justin, we, we thank you so much for joining us. You're always one of our favorite guests. This has been so much fun. Before we let you go, let everyone know where they can find your stuff and, and what you have coming up in the next week or so until draft night. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Always have a pleasure uh, on this show. You can find me on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Uh, you can find my work at DraftWire.USAToday.com and also, of course, Music City Miracles. Uh, com covering all things Titans and draft. Uh, I've got a lot of interviews coming up um, over the next you know couple of days. Uh, I've probably got about 20 interviews that have not published yet uh, that are completed, edited, and ready to go, uh, many of which are with uh, you know, very good players that I expect all to be first round picks. I kind of tried to save some of the best for last, so to speak. So interviews I have not published, guys like Jeremy Chin, uh, guys like Josh Jones from Houston. I got uh, Yatur Gross Matos hasn't published yet. Kayla uh, Vaughn Chason hasn't published yet. I've got a whole bunch of big interviews coming up. Um, at least I'm actually I'm releasing at least two interviews a day every day before the draft, just because I have so many of them done. Um, so you can find all that on my Twitter again at Justin M underscore NFL. And I've actually got a lot of more private visit. Uh, or sorry, I guess virtual visits. Everyone's doing the FaceTime thing this year. Uh, I've broken a lot of news this year regarding which players have met with which teams. So I've got a lot more news coming on that front over the next couple of days. Justin, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Pleasure's all mine, guys. And you know, guys, as we start to wrap up this episode, I think one of my favorite things about doing what we do in, you know, talking about an NFL team like this is that we have an excuse to spend 45 minutes with someone like that that knows so much you know forget the fact that we have to write and talk about it it's just fun to learn I think yeah I, I learned a lot just then uh whenever we bring them on and you know whenever we bring on some of the other guests like Teresa Walker, you know, it's just, it's an awesome experience and it makes all this worth it. Yeah. And he's a hundred percent right. He's broken 
I, I don't know. I think I have something more than 30 uh, visits or notes that the Titans have had with players. I think he's probably 26 or 27 of those guys who, you know, he's always breaking those. I encourage you to follow him, but I feel like every time we have a guest on, we get smarter and I hope the listeners enjoy it as well because it's always great information. We're going to wrap up as we always do with our stop the nonsense segment where we point out usually nonsense from the sports world, sometimes outside of the sports world. Um, You know, as you get closer to the draft, it's really a a good time for all of that. Um, So without further ado, who would like to take it away? Is Matias even here? I think I saw we're in a, a call and I think I saw that he left. So Oh did he? Yeah. So Will, I guess while we're waiting for his eventual return, you can take it away. Uh, okay, so I was split here, and I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes because I had two different things that I thought about doing. The one I didn't do is the people who've gone back and forth on Tua, who've, you know, Colin Coward, you know, number one, but Colin many Coward other loves people have Tua. Done- well, he does. He's also said that there's no way he'll fall and that it's smart if he falls. And uh, that I think uh, Funhouse, the guy who did the Mike Francesa stuff and that before all that happened, uh, did a really funny thing on him one time. But that, that's that's what I decided not to do, because I think uh, I think there's a slightly bigger uh, issue going on. So there's this long line of people who are equating production with talent and this is going to sound harsh because it's it's all about the running back position and people are trying to equate what Christian McCaffrey did this year and some last year with what Derrick Henry has done this year and last year and I I am a Derrick Henry fan this is not me hating on Derrick Henry but Christian McCaffrey is so much more important to the Panthers offense than Derrick Henry is to the Titans and I know it, people are going to fight me on that because of you know how he did in the playoffs and all that. But you have to remember, there's also eight games to start the season where Derrick Henry was almost non-existent. So, you know, the Panthers are paying Chris McCaffrey for, you know, his elite production, his receiving, you know, all, all that. He does everything for them. And that's why they paid him as much. And the Titans are not going to pay Derrick Henry as much. But even beyond that, it's a bad decision to pay Christian McCaffrey that kind of money. It's a bad decision to pay a running back, and my stop the nonsense is everybody who's going to say, look at what a good deal this was, because in two years, they're going to be saying, oh, I can't believe they paid him that much money. That's the reason why they can't get so-and-so in free agency, or that's the reason why they have to let this guy go. It's always a bad decision to pay running backs long-term, especially when you guarantee so much of the money like the Panthers did. So, you know, I have a mini stop the nonsense for everybody who's saying that Derrick Henry deserves as much money as Christian McCaffrey, but the overview is just don't pay running backs. Yeah, I'm actually excited. Um, our, our next episode, as I mentioned at the beginning, is going to be a, uh, a mock draft, and Calvin Smith from 102.5 The Game is going to be our, our fourth drafter, and he's a big analytics guy, and so he's a, like the most anti-running back person I know. So I, I can't wait to ask him about that on uh, next week's show. So my stop the nonsense, it's, it's not really nonsense per se. It's just sort of airing a grievance more than anything else. And I was telling you guys about this the other day. So my dr- draft experience has always, except for last year, the one night that I was there in person, 
has always been narrated by Rich Eisen. I, I have been very NFL Network loyal in my history of watching the draft. I've only watched ESPN, like I think one time out of necessity because the cable place I was at didn't have NFL Network. But, but I love um, the NFL Network's coverage. I loved Mike Mayock back when he was there, and I still I really enjoy Daniel Jeremiah. And they, they've started to bring Fox Sports people on, so I like Joel Clapp. Well, this year, because of the coronavirus and it's all going to be digital, instead of going through the pain of having an ESPN and an NFL Network broadcast, they're going to sort of hodgepodge it into one. That's not my nonsense. That logistically makes sense. My nonsense is that the ESPN people were chosen to take the lead. This is going to be hosted by Trey Wingo. I like Adam Schefter, but outside of him... Trey Wingo's annoying. Mel Kuyper's annoying. Booger McFarland is annoying. Diana Rossini has been on like five of our Stop the Nonsense segments. <laughs> I mean, you just go down the list. Uh, Josina Anderson, my boss, Austin Stanley, constantly tweets about how much he can't stand her. And and Eisen and, D- and DJ and, and all the NFL Network guys are, are going to just kind of pop in from time to time. It's like... Okay, ESPN has ruined everything that they do over the last, like, four years. I mean, Monday Night Football was great four years ago with Gruden and Tarico, and now it's Booger McFarland and whoever the other guy. Tessator, is that who it is? Yes, yeah. For and, now, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was even good when uh, Tarico left, and it was still Gruden, and uh, who was the other guy they kept? The college football guy? I know who you're talking about, the but he guy. leaves so little. Yeah, so little impression. He was very like not monotone. I but... liked him. Oh, oh, what is his name? McDonough. McDonough. Yeah, uh, oh, Chad, right. Chad yeah. McDonough. Um, Jeff or Scott. Chad, I think. Sean. Sean. That's Sean. That's right. A white name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, anyway, one of those generic. <laughs> but ESPN has like ruined everything. Like the one thing that ESPN does well is their. They're like the only outlet outside of newspapers and the athletic that has beat people at every NFL team, right? The the fact that we have a Teron Davenport here in Tennessee and that in uh, Miami there's a Cameron Wolf, like that's the one good thing they do. And they're the ones that have got pit gotten picked to head this thing, and I think it's just gonna be a bunch of like memes and gifs coming out of this. The only ESPN guy I'll defend is Lewis Riddick because he actually knows what he's talking about. And he's I do like Lewis sp- Riddick. I do like he's Lewis good. Riddick. The rest I could do without, to be honest. But uh, honestly, it's- like it's it's kind of a cheesy answer, but you know I like McShay. Like, uh, like I thought Kuiper, you hated Todd McShay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Todd McShay, I don't mind. Kuiper is too much. But well, Kuiper's a, a caricature of himself. That, that's that's the problem. Is they spend too much time making those two fight? Because you know, I, was true. A, I was about to say, Matthias, when you brought up caricature, that like their entire broadcast team is one big um, Frank Caliendo impression. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's like they're it's like they've started impersonating him, impersonating them. <laughs> Like, like fully snake eat the tail. Like they're like, if this is what people want, let's do this. And it's become that. And I I hate that it's done that because I do genuinely think Mel Kuyper 10 years ago was very interesting. And, you know, and then McShay to me has always been good. But that's different because McShay, you know, he does college game day stuff like he's at games 
all the time on TV. Yeah. Who, who am I he's, thinking he's of then that you think has no idea what they're talking about with the draft? Chillier. No, uh, no, no, no. It's not either of those guys. Although, yes. Um, although, yes. <laughs> who is it? It's it's the. It, he looks like McShay. I'm picturing him. He's a guy on Twitter. I'm. I think I have him muted. I should just look through who I have muted. Yeah, because I'm sure I don't mute him. I hadn't muted him because I don't mute people. All those guys look the same, like Albert Breer and Jeff Darlington and Adam Sheft. They all kind of look the same. But he's in that mold of appearance. Lewis Riddick. They all kind of look the same. (laughs) It turns out I'm just blind. Um, (laughs) Who who am I thinking of? The the guy that you call. Do you you know what I'm talking about, though? I hate so many people that this could be the, the you know you're just well, casting a lot. Matthias, you give us what you have, and I'll try to find out by the time you're done. Okay. Uh, our favorite draft analyst, Adam Rank, is at it again. Just kidding. He has nothing to do with the draft. He's a fantasy analyst who keeps saying dumb things about the Titans. I don't know why anyone talks about the Titans. Just stop talking about us. So anyway. NBC Sports posted this little thing, bring back one old school logo, and the Houston Oilers logo is on there. It's amazing. It's awesome. And Chris Long quote tweeted it and said, the Oilers logo uniform is the Ford Bronco of logo uniforms, a travesty that it ever went away. And then Adam Rank responds, it's a shame the current Houston franchise couldn't use the name logo and colors. Then someone responded to him, why would the Texans wear someone else's jerseys? And he responds, the Oilers played in Houston. Did you honestly not know that? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, well, that's a fact. But the Houston Texans are not the Houston Oilers. They're a completely different franchise that has nothing to do with the Oilers, except that they play in the same city. That's it. The Houston Oilers are the Tennessee Titans because they were the Houston Oilers before we were the Tennessee Titans. I've had I've I've had enough with this guy, dude. This is the same guy that said we were going three and thirteen last year, and we made the AFC Championship. So that's all you need to know. Yeah, this the, it's a South Texas Titan who got into it with him, and I think he used I, I I honestly at this point don't know if I came up with the analogy or if he did, but I, I because I've seen it said so many times, but it's the whole like. People who think that because they live in Houston or because Houston is the area that that's where the team should reside and not ownership. And so he did the whole, you know, if I if I move out of my house or I'm sorry, if uh, if I'm living in a house and then I move my family, that person that buys that house isn't now doesn't have my last name, doesn't get to keep my pictures like it. All of your belongings and your history goes with the people, not with the location. So when ownership, players, coaches, you know, faculty, when everybody moved to Tennessee, they didn't leave some weird ethereal essence in Houston for people to claim. Like that's not what the business moved. You know, it's still the same business. So I I always hate this and I always will hate this. And, you know, Adam Rank is almost in like Colin Cowherd territory where it's at the point where you just think he's intentionally trying to stir stuff up to cover up like a lack of knowledge and just a general ignorance, but it does, it does always aggravate me. So I guess that's what he wants. He is winning. I cannot figure out who this is. It's not field Yates. Is it? <laughs> Cause I'm just no, looking at people uh, I have muted on Twitter. Guy. 
Uh, no, uh, is it? Uh, I mean, Bucky Brooks CN, is on that list. CN McFarley or whatever. No, no, Kian Fahey. No. Yeah, that's it. Something weird. Bucky Brooks is the worst. Oh yeah, he's not who I'm thinking of. But yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you can probably just take a broad swing, and I will also not like their draft coverage. <laughs> We're going to stop before we uh, alienate everybody. People. I mean, it's all true, right? The, the defensive libel is just to, uh, is it Matt to be Miller? true. Because Matt it is, Miller stinks. Man. Well, yes, but again, that's those are all obvious no, answers. Matt Miller, it, uh, absolutely you're, you're, great. you're great, Matt Miller. Uh, if you want to come on our show and talk, we, that would be great, too. You well, yeah, can come I on. I had Matt Miller on the podcast I did before I started with you all one time. Very yeah, nice guy. I remember that yeah but he doesn't always know what he's talking about okay we're gonna wrap this up uh next week mock draft as usual three of us alternating picks calvin smith's gonna join us so enjoy that uh hope you enjoyed this one until then uh, for potato world i'm luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense and draft good football players we'll see you next time For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.